Chinese-Australian writer Dr Yang Henjun received a death sentence on the 5th of February in Beijing, although it reduces to a life sentence after two years' good behaviour. Yang Henjun was imprisoned in January of 2019 on national security charges, which he denies. He was tried in secret, with no Australian consular officials allowed to attend the trial, and the verdict was delayed several times. Dr Young worked for China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs before moving to Australia, where he became an Australian citizen in 2002. He completed a PhD at the University of Technology, Sydney, and then moved to the US, where he wrote spy novels and pro-democracy commentary. Young's fate is very different from that of Chinese-Australian journalist Chung Lei, who was returned to Australia in October 2023 after three years' detention. It's a risky time to be an Australian in China. The government's travel advisory, Smart Traveller, warns Australians may be at risk of arbitrary detention or harsh enforcement of local laws, including broadly defined national security laws. A lot's changed since our next guest was in Canberra toasting a new agreement on consular relations between Australia and the People's Republic of China, which was signed on the 8th of September 1999. Ian Kemish is a former head of the Consular and Crisis Division at the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, and after a 25-year diplomatic career, he joined the private sector and is today also an adjunct professor at the University of Queensland. Ian Kemish, welcome to Sunday Extra. Great to be with you, Julian. And you too. Tell us about this agreement on consular relations. How significant was it? And what does it say should happen in the case of someone like Dr. Young? It covers a few things, but at its core, Julian, it's an agreement about how to handle situations when the citizen of one country are detained or arrested in the other. It actually pulls together some principles that already existed in a big, broad international agreement called the Vienna Convention that goes back to the 1960s. There's some key principles in it. Local law applies, but governments have rights of access to their citizens so they can check on welfare, ensure proper legal representation, facilitate communication with family, so they can check that the individual's being treated firmly according to the standards of the law of the country in which he or she is detained. We felt back then that the Vienna Convention wasn't quite enough. We felt we needed a specific agreement with with China because we already had had some trouble in getting local courts and police forces to live up to their obligations. And look, in the Chinese case, there's an additional complication that arises from the fact that many of the Australians who are finding themselves in these situations, a bit like Dr Young, were in fact Australians of Chinese heritage or former Chinese citizens. And, and the Chinese don't actually accept your nationality. And while through the agreement we struck, they came to accept that these people were Australians and the Australian government had an interest in them, one that still has the sense that their heart really isn't in it, um, that there's an underlying view that these people aren't quite real Australians. So the consular agreement we struck was very clear about access. Consular officials have got the right to visit their citizens in prison. Access should be provided within two days of notification and notification should happen within three days of arrest and access should happen every month. It also makes clear that if there's a trial that the government concerned should be provided with information about the charges and should be able to attend the trials. So it's very, very clear on this subject and both in the case of Cheng Lei and in the case of Dr Young, the Chinese have not lived up to the spirit or intent or content of that agreement. 
Yes, indeed. The agreement is clear about China not recognising dual nationality, but all those rights are very clear in the agreement and have clearly been breached. How well was the agreement observed before these very high-profile cases? And what is the status of the agreement today, given such clear breaches? Formally speaking, the agreement is still very much in force. Um, there's been no abrogation of it or withdrawal from it by either party. But the treatment of Australians has been patchy, to say the least. I believe, and I wrote about this in a book called The Consul that came out a year or so ago, that there's a real correlation between China's treatment of Australian citizens on one hand and the state of the relationship on the other. So, you know, I've, I've sketched that relationship between those two things over a couple of decades. There's been a clear pattern of unjust imprisonment for political reasons, seeking leverage in relationship with Australia or signifying displeasure over things. And we all know we've been coming out of a, a difficult period in the relationship in which China's so-called wolf warrior diplomacy was applied to us along with a bunch of other countries. Important to note, by the way, Julian, that we're not alone here. Uh, countries like Canada and the UK have also had some serious difficulties with the treatment of their nationals. And so the question becomes, you know, if you accept that these things reflect the state of the relationship directly or indirectly, you know, how deliberate is it? this latest um, move by China in relation to Dr Young, how strategic it is it? Is there a decision that's been made to suddenly reverse a positive trend in the relationship? Those are interesting things to explore, I think. Yes, you say that these sort of arrests reflect the state of the relationship. Do you regard Dr Young's case as a situation of hostage diplomacy? I would hesitate to call it that. Others will, and I respect that people do use that kind of language. What I would say uh, is that it is unjust detention and unjust imprisonment. Now, there's a question, and I'm not sure anyone has a clear answer to this, about just how deliberate and just how strategic this is. You know, the courts within China operate within a complex system. China's an authoritarian state, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that means that every decision is completely strategic, made in consultation across every level of the system. So so what is it? You know, is it a is it a message that while things are improving we shouldn't get too carried away with ourselves, that China's still not entirely happy with us, given our insistence on freedom of navigation in the South China Sea, our pushback on their influence in the Pacific or our alliance arrangements. Could be, maybe. But there's another way of looking at it. And Perhaps Australia's actually not been completely front of mind for the court in coming to this judgment. What I mean by that is that there may still be an underlying and wrong judgment that we won't care too deeply about someone who originates in China and who they see as a former employee of their own government. And who knows, maybe, again wrongly, they think they've achieved appropriate balance in this case, you know, as you were saying, it's it's a death sentence with a two-year reprieve, commuted with life imprisonment on good behaviour. The history of these kinds of sentences indicates that it could well be commuted to life imprisonment, but unfortunately the sentence is unlikely to be reduced any further beyond that. Now, mm. the thinking within the Chinese system, as I understand it, is that these sentences indicate both, on one hand, the serious nature of the offence as they see it, and the mercy of the court. Um, we don't see it that way. We rightly are outraged at that kind of uh, mentality and sentiment. 
But who knows? There may even have been a bit of surprise on the Chinese side that our Prime Minister has responded so robustly and clearly to the sentence, and so he should have. You know, he used language, despair, dismay, frustration and outrage. That's a very clear signal that this is serious as far as we're concerned. We're speaking with Ian Kemish, former head of the Consular and Crisis Division at DFAT. And Ian, yes, I was going to ask you about the strength of the Australian government's response. You've described Prime Minister Albanese's words there. The foreign minister said the Australian government's appalled by the sentence and that it would be communicating this response in the strongest terms. Do you have a sense of how those messages will be received in Beijing? I think it may, the messages may be received differently at different levels and there, there is time and room for some contemplation, I believe and hope, at the Chinese end. We do need to keep up the pressure. We need to lean into it, ensure there's no confusion within the Chinese system about how much we care. That may sometimes be about our public language as it's been in the last few days, but it's also about using the newly reopened avenues of dialogue that we have available to us at all levels of government. You know, we must lean forward. We were talking earlier, Julian, about, you know, the Vienna Convention, local law applies. Um, we are a respecter of those principles, but we will, of course, step beyond those guide rails if we feel that justice is being trashed. We can't and we shouldn't do that in every case involving an Australian overseas. There are at any time about 400 Australians imprisoned overseas and we'll put it this way, most of them probably have a case to answer. But there are these other cases where we make an appropriate political judgment, not a, a judgment based on legal niceties. And we seek to use the opportunity, if I can call it that, of this um, two-year reprieve in the um, in the sentence to push for a different kind of outcome. Ian, the ABC's reporting that after the suspended death sentence for Dr Young was announced this week, the Chinese Foreign Ministry changed the official transcript of a press conference from back in 2019, removing the reference to Dr Young as a Chinese citizen and just referring to him as a citizen. Do you think there's any significance in that change? Look, you could argue that that's a hand at work seeking to um, secure some future flexibility for China in dealing with this, this matter. I can see that argument. But these are times when people will spring at anything for a bit of hope and I'm a bit hesitant to lock in too hard on that development and to get too hopeful about it. Who knows? But I think that we need to judge China's uh, response on the basis of its more formal pronouncements, while, of course, staying alert to some of these more subtle movements on their side. You mentioned earlier that the Chinese government might look at these cases differently based on the ethnicity of the person involved. Is that something that you think has changed over the years from either the Chinese side or the indeed the Australian side? Uh, the first thing I'd say is that that agreement back in 2000 sought to tackle this point. It basically says if you've got a valid passport from the other country, then you're regarded as a national of that country for, the, of that mm. country for these purposes. So that sought to clarify that. It is often uh, Australians of Chinese origin who find themselves in these situations. That just reflects the pattern of family movement, business and so on. 
I, I do think it's changed. I think that at the Chinese end, there's some realisation that we have an interest in these cases. I, I think here in Australia, let's be honest with ourselves, public attention is probably more easily galvanised, even now, if the Australian concerned is of you know European, Anglo-Celtic background. But I've actually been quite pleased by how... Uh, in Cheng Lei's case and in Dr Young's case, the Australian media and broader public have swivelled to focus in. And I think that is, personally, I think that's a, a growing recognition on our own part that our country is what it is. It's a country of immigrants living alongside an Indigenous population. And our external approach needs to understand that and recognise that. It has in the past been harder to stimulate public attention in these sorts of cases when the person concerned can be written off in lazy analysis as, you know, somebody who actually comes from the other country. We, I don't think we do that as much anymore. Ian Kemish, thanks so much for joining us on Sunday Extra. Thanks, Julian. That's Ian Kemish, former head of the Consular and Crisis Division at DFAT and now an adjunct professor at the University of Queensland. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.